Welcome to a new podcast. This is Everything with Everett, a talk show podcast hosted by Everett McConaughey from Boise, Idaho. The purpose of this production is to share thoughts, voices, and information to further a discussion on who we are as individuals, communities, and a global presence. Everything with Everett is open to all topics of discussion, faith, religion, history, finances, and well, everything. Follow, like, listen, and subscribe. Visit EverettMcConaughey.com. Hey everybody, I'm back with you. Got quite a bit of time to fill. I definitely could have done a longer episode on the religion, escapism podcast, as well as definitely could have done a little bit more time on the Rush Limbaugh one, but I felt like that one was a really good one. That one has been uploaded to the archive channel on YouTube. You can get there <clears throat> youtube.com forward slash Everett McConaughey or just search for Rush Limbaugh and Everything with Everett podcast. Also, you can go to my website, everettmcconaughey.com. That's E-V-E-R-E-T-T-M-C-C-O-N-N-A-U-G-H-E-Y.com. There's a link to the podcast, a link to YouTube, Twitter. Hey, we now have um, a new Instagram account. That's cool. Um, so if you are on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram, just add Everett Podcast to the end of that URL. So you can get to the Instagram uh, profile. I'm hoping to start doing kind of more... Um, like videos on kind of like, you know, what you got, what's on your guys' mind type thing. I just want to be a little bit more interactive with people. Um, the listener response has been a little bit lackluster. Um, maybe I'm not inspiring people. Uh, maybe, maybe I'm hitting everything on the head and there's nothing to add. Maybe I'm preaching to the choir. I, I don't know. I don't hear from anybody. Well, I hear from Scott. Uh, shout out to you, Scott. He is my friend in Nampa. Listens pretty regularly. Definitely said that the religious one needs to be longer. And there will be a part two, I promise that. Um, I definitely want to do a podcast separating God from religion. I definitely think that they are standalone topics. They've been so intertwined throughout the generations, but... I definitely think that you can believe in God without subscribing to religion. And I think that religion could be an issue. Also, maybe great time to plug some uh, other podcasts that I want to talk about. Another thing that I want to talk about kind of relating to the church um, topic is about taxing churches. And, you know, if you would like to weigh in on this, this would be great. Uh, I would love to have some, you know, dialogue, text, voicemails, emails, whatever. 
You can email podcast at everettmcconaughey.com. You can text or call and leave a voicemail at 208-391-2808. It goes straight to voicemail. You can call anytime you're listening. Just do it. Send a text, whatever. And it goes into um, the catcher. And then I can respond if I need to. I can say thank you. I I can do two. I can respond back on text messaging and stuff. You can even leave a voicemail, and then I can respond back with a text message if you like. I can call out on it, but I have it go straight to voicemail because I, you know, I don't really want to answer phone calls as they're coming in. Um, it's also the line that I get spammed on. So, pardon, you know, if I don't seem to be all over a missed call, if you have called it. Um, if you don't leave a voicemail, I just assume wrong number. Um, anyway, so I definitely want to talk about, um, you know, when about taxing churches and kind of just some, some clashes of ideas that we have in our country, you know, um, just a, a snippet of one is, you know, I get why we don't tax churches because it's our income that we're giving to another organization as a charity. They're supposed to, it's either help pay the bills, keep the lights on or community outreach things. And that's great. And I definitely support that. And I don't think that should be taxed, but I think there needs to be a caveat. I think that when a church or church official starts to step outside the bounds of heaven and hell and right versus wrong moral things and, you know, feeding the homeless, taking care of, you know, those who are falling on hard times. I think that when a church starts to step into an area of you shouldn't take this vaccine or you shouldn't vote for this, or we should support this legislation that takes away rights of others or legislation that makes something criminal. I think that when churches start to overstep their bounds, that's when they need to be taxed. And I'll definitely go more into that another time. Um, I totally go down that right now. I think about a lot of things like there's just so many issues in this world that it's just, that's what I do. I just think about stuff and, um, the head space gets quite deep sometimes, but, uh, and, and like, I think about, you know, how, how do you explain all this stuff to your kids and what's a great time to start talking about these things? Like, I definitely, I feel like, obviously a good parent is going to shelter you from um, knowing the realities of life. I think there's, you, you have to protect that innocence, which is why it's so bad when, you know, kids have such a horrible upbringing or they get abused. Um, that person is literally stealing their genuine innocence. And, and that's bad. At the same time, it can go the opposite direction where if you're too, you know, coddly or sheltering them too much, they're not prepared for the reality outside of your front door. 
and you kind of set them up for failure if you do that. Um, they're not prepared for people that would just be against them for the sake of being against them. I mean, people are, they're bullies out there and you definitely have to be kind, but you also have to be prepared to take what you need in this life. Nobody gets ahead. Um, just being nice. I mean, we've learned that in the last couple of years. Look at any one of our elected officials, you know, they, they've got friends, they get lobbied, they do what's, what's good for them, what's good for their friends. And I I think like one thing, one thing that I really value about the democratic party, it's also their downfall is I feel like Democrats are just very nice people to a fault. So much so that nobody wants to make this world uncomfortable for other people. Um, I used to be a moderate Democrat, you know, very middle of the road, just... You know, I want progress, but I also don't want to, you know, offend people. I want, you know, I don't want it to look like I'm anti, you know, their religious rights and whatnot. But now that I'm older, I'm starting to see that that's a bunch of hogwash. And the people in the middle are actually kind of the problem. And I think that just from what we've seen in the last, you know, 10 years, Democrats, oh, well, we, yeah, we should, you know, make concessions to the Republicans and concede certain things on these bills. And just for the sake of getting it passed, getting something passed. I mean, of course we can go back and fix things, but we all know now that nothing like that happened. This isn't like the seventies where, you know, something gets passed for now. And then the Congress is great about going back and fixing things, you know, in a bipartisan manner and, and whatnot. Things get passed now, and that's that's what we get. That's all we get. Um, they never come back and make it better. They might come back and take it all away. And I feel like Democrats for too long have been too concerned about playing the game fairly and too concerned about making keeping it comfortable for the Republicans. I mean... It's mind-blowing. Towards the end of last year and even parts of the beginning of this year, Nancy Pelosi, the Speaker of the House, representing the Democrat Party, going on television touting that we needed to have a strong Republican Party? Like, what the heck? You never hear a Republican say, oh, well, we need a strong Democrat Party. No. They call us weak. And you know why we're weak? Because we are making concessions to them. Because we're not standing up for what we truly believe. We're going, hey, that's not fair. You shouldn't, you know, be doing that. And then the the bully, the Republicans are going, oh, yeah, what you going to do about it? And we're like, oh, nothing. Sorry, don't mind me. And then we wait till the next year and repeat that same cycle again. So when you hear Republicans say that Democrats and liberals are weak, there's some truth to that because they're abusers. They play abusive games. They gerrymander and they take control of the game for themselves. 
Notice how they all keep scoring things on their board, but we're letting them win. We're letting them make rounds on the baseball field. And it's time to say, you know what? No, you're out. It's time to be as vigorously progressive as they are vigorously conservative. Sure, that creates a very hard pendulum effect. It's only going to shake the country more in terms of, you know, division of every year is going to, every election cycle is going to be, you know, Republicans, Democrat, Republican, Democrat. I really wish that we had more of a third party that actually had a chance to, to gain ground. I feel like we're slowly getting ready to go that way. Because I feel like the Democrat, the the proper DNC, and the GOP are really bought by the same groups. They represent the same stuff. They throw in a candidate, you know, Joe Biden, totally better than Trump, I will admit that, but at what cost? Bernie Sanders was who the people wanted in 2016. But the DNC had an agenda because somebody is an old person there. Somebody is bought by a lobby group. I don't know. I don't know who actually makes the decisions on that. But someone decided Hillary Clinton fits our narrative of who we want to nominate. We want the first female president. We want a boomer female president. It's Hillary's turn. It's her time. And unfortunately, that's not like that would be cool. But guess what? We have a lot bigger issues than, oh, it's time for Senator so-and-so to take her place on the throne. It's it's her time. No. This is a real country. People's lives are at stake. We need pedal to the metal on that gas pedal and going towards progress. And then the pendulum's going to start swinging a lot less back and forth when we start making strides on the progressive side. What if we can prove, oh, guess what? We are pro-life beyond controlling somebody's womb, beyond what they do in the bedroom. We're pro-life to the point where everyone can be proactive about their own health and be proactive about community health. You can stay at home because you don't feel well because you might infect your workplace. You can stay home without having to be think about, Oh, am I going to be able to pay the bills if I miss today, tomorrow or this week? I mean, in other countries around this, around the world that are quote socialized, they don't think about that stuff. They, If they're sick, they stay home, and there's no such thing as, oh, how many sick days do I have, or am I going to get a write-up? I had an employer that legitimately, even if it was legit, like you had sick, went to the doctor, whatever, they, they wrote you up every single time you called out. And you could have up to three write-ups in a 90-day period. It would fall off, so it's not like it would count against you forever. But what kind of move is that in America where 
you can't value your own health and value the health of your coworkers to stay home and get healthy again. Rest. Not spread a pandemic or a viral disease. I think we're so pro right to work and we forget that right to work actually does not give you the right to work. Right to work takes away unions and takes away power from the employees down at the bottom doing the grunt work, getting the CEO their big old profits. I just saw something on Twitter from, oh, what is his name? it that CEO that gave up his funds or gave up his salary so that uh, like Dan Price I think is what his name is God, I just found it well I just had it but I don't know where it is Um, anyway he shared something that said Oh, here we are. Uh, So he posted this one 30 minutes ago. Dan Price on Twitter said, if people were really paid how hard they work, restaurant workers would be millionaires and CEOs would be middle class. And then he signed it, a CEO who used to work in a restaurant. I, I think that we totally have a, a messed up system. Our teachers get paid nothing. Our doctors get paid slightly better, but not anything close to what, you know, they should be. But CEOs can take home bonuses in the middle of corporate bankruptcy. CEOs of Wells Fargo's and banks can take home a a nice dividend from a government bailout. We give bailouts to companies instead of doing what an actual so whenever you hear something about an economic stimulus and then you hear you know the things about uh the people that oh well if you give the money to poor people they're just going to spend it guess what they spend it because they have bills to pay they have food to buy they have a family that needs the money people that are rich don't need that money they're going to throw it into a savings account They're going to invest it. They're going to buy a new whatever, a new toy. An economic stimulus, for anyone who doesn't know, is like watering a houseplant. It does no good in most situations to dump all the water on the foliage above the pot, especially if it's dehydrated and dying. So if you spray all that water at the foliage on top, in theory, some of it's going to get to the bottom, but most of it's going to drip off and land on the ground and be a waste. That is what happens when you give the bailouts and the funds to the CEOs, the managers, and the people at the top. Trickle-down economics is a freaking lie. Whoever came up with that, or thought that it was real, or got us to buy into that crap, doesn't happen. The only way it could happen is if we had laws that made it so that CEOs like Jeff Bezos and all these other billionaires make tons of money. If 
companies have to, should have to give back a certain share of their profits. They should, you know, have a night, be able to amass a nice cushion to help weather some issues. But if you have so much surplus that you're able to pay your top people millions and billions of dollars in a salary, that's a problem. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Hey there, pardon the interruption. I know you were really listening intensely to this episode. My apologies, but I'd like to take a moment to let you know that there are other people who love this podcast as much as you and like hearing some really cool, interesting topics and discussions. And if you have a brand, product, maybe you have a podcast yourself, if you would like to advertise in this podcast, either a pre-roll at the beginning of an episode, in the middle, just like you're hearing right now, or at the end of podcast episodes, please let me know. I would love to help you connect with the listeners just like yourself with whatever it is you would like to get uh, to their ears. Just email advertising at everettpodcast.com. Again, pardon the interruption. I will get you right back to this episode that you're listening to. Thanks. That money literally could go back to your frontline people that takes care of the $15 an hour wage that takes care of a lot of problems. A CEO, a single person doesn't need billions a year. I'm not against amassing billions of dollars or millions of dollars over a lifetime. That is totally fine to me that there should be an incentive for being a leader, working your way up, earning the money, but at no point should it be okay for an NFL person or uh, some NFL commissioner or whatever to take home billions and millions of dollars a year, especially when the government wants to cut everybody off for checks at the $75,000 a year mark. So let's get this right. $75,000 a year is what our elected officials seem to believe that that's, if you make more than that, you're doing just fine. Never mind the fact that if you make less than $100,000 in a lot of these massive cities that people live in, not just by choice. Some people live there by choice, and that is what it is. But guess what? There are people that live in these cities because that's where they grew up. That's home. And things get expensive around them. And if you make less than 100000 in like San Francisco in the Bay Area, you're poverty. So right there, if you're making anywhere from $75,000 a year to $100,000 a year, you probably can't really afford anything. If you're in an industry that got hit by all the COVID situation or is on the verge of collapsing, the job market is looking pretty scarce and tight. And now, as an insult to injury, thanks to the weak Democrats who caved to, oh, what about the the spending? We need to tamper that down 0.5%. They passed the $1.9 trillion budget compared to the Republicans passing two. It looks really ridiculous, 
that we've gotten more financial assistance under Trump's administration than Biden so far. Granted, Biden's only been in office two months. It's still pathetic in the whole grand scheme of things that at the most, if you got all the checks that the government has sent out, that we've only gotten... See, that would be six, two, four, just over $3,000. So about $3,200. What about the waitresses and waiters that, and hairstylists that have been unemployed? What about the people committing suicide because they can't pay their bills? The Republicans, of course, want to argue, oh, well, they have to, go, they need to be able to, that's why we can't do lockdowns. They have to go out and cut hair and wait tables. We can't have people living and working as if nothing's happening. We've already passed 500,000, half a million people. More people have died in the last year in this, in this country than who died World War II, World War I, and Vietnam combined. I don't know about you. I'm not anti-military. I'm not anti-veterans, and I'm not anti-holidays that are on the books. But I'm kind of, for the next year, when we say, oh, thanks to our veterans. Thanks to our veterans, yes. But let's emphasize the people who fought with their lives the citizens that fought the war, the world war that circled our globe in 2020. Let's thank the 500,000 that have died so far so that we have freedom. They're the true patriots in this moment, in this time. Let's build a statue to them. Boise just built, authorized the building of a statue for three National Guard soldiers that died in a training accident. Totally, I'm not against it. I really am not. But it just blows me away that we are so quick to, oh, let's cast in bronze a soldier. Let's cast in bronze the NFL coach, the NFL player. Let's cast in bronze the senator or politician. This country is literally, they are, all of us who are just nobodies, who are just social security numbers in this great country, tongue-in-cheek, we are the frontline workers. We are the waitresses and waiters. We are the hairstylists. We're the grocery store workers. We're the office workers. We're the non-exempt, non-manager, non-salaried employees who bust our butt every day, every year, for 65 years, hoping that at the end of it, we can enjoy maybe four years of retirement. So many people die within the first 10 years of retirement 
that it, it, look, honestly, I've seen so many stats of people dying and they're like two years out of employment. And yet then we're against uh, sex workers. Like you do you, that's fine. But it's kind of ironic that we're, we have some more moral high ground against people who want to sell their bodies for income. Yet, I'm supposed to be okay just selling my soul and my God-given life to work for a company to earn under $20 an hour? Is that fair value for our lives? Is it fair that the CEOs of our companies take home far more than in, in one paycheck than any of us will see in our lifetimes. Never mind the fact that our work is what keeps their company alive and moving and functioning. There ought to be a thank you bonus to all of us in all of our companies from all of our employers. It's ridiculous. Anyway, so if $75,000 a year is rich, according, you look at a lot of, you know, stimulus things in the past, and that seems to be their, their happy go-to number, $75,000 a year, or $150,000 if you're married and, and whatnot. So anywhere from $75,000 to $150,000 is what their cutoff is for a lot of, you know, financial aid, government subsidies, whatever. So let's for for this situation, let's use that as rich. Seventy five thousand dollars is rich. Well, double that is what our Congress people make. Why are they making more than the cutoff? Frankly, I think that Congress people should be making the minimum wage. It's called public service, not a career. You know, yes, get into public service, do your thing, ride it out as long as the people will let you have it. But there need to be term limits. There need to be age limits. It's not the hobby that you get to do when you're 60. Like, oh, I think I'm going to go into politics. <laughs> no. And it shouldn't replace what you're doing. So you shouldn't be like, oh, well, I'm going to go into politics. I got my law degree, but I'm going to go into, uh, I'm going to be a congressman from the state of Idaho. Going to have a law practice in Boise, but I'm going to be a congressman. From age 35 to now he's like, what, 70? I'm referencing Mr. Rish. And he's a billionaire. He's one of the richest congressmen around. And he's had a very seasoned career. And I'm not against him as a person. He's a nice guy. Whatever. He toes the party line. He's a great loyalist to the Republican elephant. But serve your time within your time limits. I would even be for like, you know, two consecutive terms out for a term. And then if, you know, things are still bad and the people really want you back in office, maybe two more terms. But then that's it. You're done. Like nobody should be serving in our Congress for more than like eight years per role. I'm fine. Go fine. If you're congressman, go try being in the house. 
if if you fulfill your term limits in one position, then you should be able to go. And then there, there's your career in politics. Try working at the county level, work at the state level, then the national level. Maybe you can be president, but there need to be term limits. And if $75,000 is rich for us that don't have the power to say, uh, excuse me, $75,000 a year breaks down to $1,442.31 per week. Do you know what that means per hour if you work a 40-hour week? That comes out to $36.06 an hour. Holy crap. If I made that kind of money, wow, that would be so nice. And and I know people are like, oh, well, if we made that much money, then cost of living is going to go up. The cost of a McDonald's cheeseburger is going to be $10. Um, I hate to pop your little bubble, but people say that as if cost of living has remained stagnant this entire time. 2007 was the last time they raised the minimum wage to $7.25 an hour. Before that, it was 5 something. So people talk justify not raising the minimum wage because they're oh well cost of living is going to go up because then if everyone's making 15 an hour then they're just going to charge more maybe but why cost of living has gone up anyway it's they're not connected but instead of justifying not raising the minimum wage because it might burden us or suddenly if you're making 15 dollars an hour you're not going to be making more than minimum wage the victim, the person, the person that we're going after is not the McDonald's worker that has been working their, their whole life. And before you come at me saying, oh, well, people who are working at McDonald's isn't made for anyone to live off of. Guess what? It may not have been made to live off of. It may have been intended as America's first employer during high school, but over half Almost half of the people in this country work in a minimum income job. Maybe they have the mental faculties where that's the best fit for them. Maybe they have other situations that that's the best route. It doesn't matter. Why do people not deserve to be able to pay for a life? Why should somebody who makes seven twenty five an hour have to live in a in a house with six other people just to pay the rent? Why can't somebody afford to live in a one bedroom apartment by themselves and actually feel the dignity of life on a minimum wage? What about the the corporate executive who didn't save up, lived life to the fullest, something happens, they get sick, incapacitated, whatever. Now they got to go work a check in the box. And guess what? They're overqualified or they don't have any of the right experience. So they get the minimum wage job. Sure, they could work up, but they're only going to get like maybe 2 $3 more per hour, depending on what kind of position they get. Why should somebody who's in a situation 
that's less fortunate than the person that's making way more than than minimum wage, why should they not be able to afford to put a house over their head, food on their table, or have control over the living situation that they're in? Why do they have to live in the in a halfway house? Why do they have to live with their parents or complete strangers? Is that pro-life? Is that what the conservatives want us to help support? We need to raise minimum wage. And guess what? If there's a legit reason why we can't, oh, it's too expensive for companies to to foot that cost? Well, guess what? We've been outsourcing our crap for generations. You can't buy anything that's made in America. And guess what? If they start making something that's in America, nobody wants to buy it because guess what? It's going to cost twice as much. And they're going to be like, oh, I can get something way cheaper on Amazon that comes from China because the wages are supplemented there and they're really low, horribly low, unchristiany low. And that's why we can buy the $3 trinket instead of having to pay $10 for the American version. That's why we've outsourced our, our stuff. And it's, it's nice to rally around, oh, well, we should bring back manufacturing. Guess what? It's too late. If China, if literally, if China said, you know what? We're done with your country. We're, you know, you've talked so much crap against us. You're against Asians. You're racist. If they shut down our pipeline, we could have no drugs for prescriptions. We could have no clothing, a lot of foodish items. Like we would be in a world of hurt if China ever decided we're done playing your game, America. So while it might be a nice slogan, make America great again. We sold our souls to capitalism a long time ago. Capitalism means taking advantage of other people. Capitalism means you need to put out, have a lot of children. You need to constantly have new customers. Have you ever thought about the cell phone commercials? Where they're like, oh, if you come to AT&T or you come to T-Mobile or Verizon, get this latest device. Whatever. Sure, there are new people that can be new customers, but cell phones are not a new novel device anymore. This isn't the late 90s. This isn't early 2000s. I've had the same cell phone number since 2005. I bounce around, but guess what? There's no no deals for the people that are already on plans, and the majority of us have a phone. The majority of us are an existing customer somewhere. Yet there's nothing new and shiny and a great promotion for us. Because existing customers don't make the make the investors happy. They want to see growth. They want to see returns on their on their uh, payments. They want dividends and buybacks. That's capitalism. 
keep producing all of the cheap plastic stuff, throw it in the landfill because, oh, there's some extra stuff or that was a flop idea. No accountability. No one cares. It's just so frustrating. Like, our modern world has existed for literally a second in the grand scheme of this entire earth. And I feel like we've done so much to screw it over. We literally made it from like cavemen, stone and eight, whatever you believe in, like Adam and Eve, dinosaurs, evolution. You know, we've, we've come so long, even, you know, you think about like when the Romans were around, Hell, when Jesus was born was year year zero, according to our calendar. 2,021 years we've made it since just Jesus. The Industrial Revolution happened in around 1800. So literally in the last 350 years, everything that we know of today transportation, oil, everything, health, medicine, food, all of it happened within the last 350 years. Half of our country's life that has happened. It's amazing. It is so cool. But we have done nothing to mitigate the dangers of the Pandora's box that we opened. It's just, yeah. It's frustrating. Did you catch the Meghan Markle and uh, Prince Henry or Prince Harry? Uh, I get their names mixed up because it's same letter. But, wow. Damning information with Oprah. Whoa. But I felt so like, I felt like I could relate to so much. One of my favorite lines that she had was, she said, uh, Oprah asked that, is there, you know, is there a regret looking back? Is there something that you regret? And she said, my biggest regret is that I believed them. I trusted them to protect me. And in that second, when she said that, like, I get it meant about her, her husband, her family. She has real threats against her. And, I, and I'm not trying to mitigate what she was communicating. And that is a whole issue. Clearly somebody in the palace is racist. Not the queen, not the, the husband of Queen Elizabeth, but somebody below that. I'm venturing to guess it's probably uh, Harry's father. That generation's got some problems. But anyway, she so she goes, I believed them. I trusted them to protect me. And I was like, you know what? Think about the people that trusted our government to protect us, that have believed into good prevails, that have bought into this in God we trust Christian branding that our government has put everywhere. Science is an answer to somebody's prayer. Science is 
the hands and fingers of God. Science and surgery and medicine are the ability to fix what otherwise would run its course. Education is enlightenment to a God level. And to not trust in that stuff and to not back that is literally slapping God's face. If you don't believe in a shot and getting the vaccine, fine. Stay home. Be a hermit. Grow all the kale and carrots you want in your backyard. Keep milking old Betsy. Have a, you know, a cluster of like five chickens. Got eggs. Chop their head off, skin them. You could be a full little functioning little house unit. Oh, but the government wants its taxes and you you can't pay taxes if you're busy working like we used to and, you know, a self-functioning little family unit with a little farm in your backyard. Oh, well, that sucks. Anyway, so Meghan Markle says that, well, now she's got a married last name. Um, that she believed them. She trusted them. Think about the people that believed and trusted our government that believed in science that thought, Hey, this pandemic is, is coming around, but guess what? We're the greatest country that has ever existed. We're the best country ever. We're the chosen ones. Look at all this science and knowledge that we have. Let's pray a little harder. Surely God will protect us. $500,000 500,000 people have died. More than 500,000 people. That's the entire population of, a, of some of our states. In one year. That's a hell of a lot of prayers that have gone unanswered. That's a whole lot of greatness that we believed in. That Donald Trump, the president at the time, couldn't say, you know what? We need to do what's best for our country. We need to actually unite and be a great country. We need to rally around the same principles and philosophies that past generations did for World War I, World War II, and every major military battle we've had. But no. We couldn't put a mask on. We couldn't be inconvenienced to not keep up with the perm. Old Betty down the street needed her manicure. Somebody had to go to work just so that she could get her nails done so that she would look fabulous for Sunday church. Oh, and then when, you know, the churches were told that you shouldn't open, you know, your massive congregating spaces, potential hotspots for disease and spreading that, I have a right to worship God. You need to open the doors. 
Well, guess what? If you can't worship God without being in a building on Sunday morning, then I dare challenge you to say you don't actually believe in God. You don't have a faith. Because if you cannot, if your faith does not exist without the mortal process of driving to a building, sitting in the pew with your people, drinking that wonderful cup of coffee in the styrofoam cup, if that's what it takes for you to have faith in God, in a higher power, in a heavenly being, you're addicted to church. You're addicted to the human experience. You're addicted to the entertainment of church. Because all you need is an open heart and an open mind to talk to God in your living room, your bed, the shower, sit in the backyard. But if you legitimately think that it goes, that it's a, it's, a target against religion to ask the churches to not operate in the middle of a pandemic. You need to check your privilege at the church door the next time it opens. Our country protects against laws concerning religions. America can't be like, oh, well, guess what? We don't believe in Muslims, so we're going to execute Muslims. No. As much as the Republican would probably like to do that, that goes against religious freedom. Freedom of religion doesn't mean maximizing Christianity everywhere. Freedom of religion means all religion. The word religion does not mean a cross. Freedom of religion means that everyone has the choice to believe in what they want and that the government doesn't have a right to say that faith it doesn't have a right to practice or whatever. It's a universal blanket during this last year of please don't operate your church for public health safety. Another reason we should be taxing churches, just in case you don't listen to that episode when it comes up, now I'm going to probably repeat myself. If a church isn't doing anything to help people in need in the community, if they're not opening their doors for during cold times or hot times to allow those experiencing homelessness to warm up, get out of the heat, if they're not serving lunches or making an effort to feed those that are hungry, if literally they open the doors, you go in, you marvel at the beautiful stained glass and the lighting, you admire whatever is put on the projector, you drop a couple coins and dollar bills, maybe a check, into the plate as it gets passed, and then Sunday night the doors close, lock, and that's all your church does, you should be taxed. 
churches are meant to serve communities. Technically, churches are rather anti-government when you think about it. There's quite a lot of power that a church could do and solve if they put it all out there. If everybody tithes in every religion and the churches gathered up their money and said, you know what, we're going to partner with uh, First Baptist Church, we're going to partner with First United Methodist, we're all going to get together and we're, we're building housing for people that are down on their luck. We're going to feed everybody. Guess what? We're going to run these programs, after-school programs, for children who are less fortunate. We wouldn't need a government, people, if these churches actually stood up and put their money where their mouth is. And they could do it without being taxed. You could actually have power through your church to make this world a better place. But nobody does that because the mega churches, the that one ugly pastor with the curly hair down in Texas, he wants a new jet. That's God's gift to him from your pockets. He doesn't want to open up his church during historic freeze and flooding, power failure. And that's a whole nother tangent. Texas being, I didn't know they weren't part of our national power grid. I was absolutely floored by that. Why aren't we learning that in schools? But what a beautiful symbolism right there of what isolationist mindsets get you. They opted out of a national system that all the rest of us get to have because nobody does it bigger or better than Texas. So they had their own power system. And guess what? It failed. And people have lost their lives because there's still a pandemic going on. They got cold. They froze in their little trailer homes. That was the most that they could afford from what money they had left from no government assistance or the minimum wage job that they were forced to work or the three minimum wage jobs that they were forced to work. No health insurance because, oh, that's not a right. That's attached to your employment. And if you can't get a job that is going to give you health insurance because either the market is too saturated or you live in a community that's not big enough to have a big employer like that, then you don't have a right to health insurance. Hashtag pro-life. Anyway. I just get so fired up about these. Like, I, can you imagine, like, if we truly, as a Democratic Party, if we, like, put somebody in there, or even a third, let's make a new party. Let's, the Progressive Party. We need progress. America didn't get out of the Depression by doing the status quo, by cutting spending. America has historically invested in itself, invested in its backbone and the people at the bottom but we aren't anymore for some reason we are not investing in our in our foundation you know what happens to a house when the foundation fails 
the house falls and crumbles. It breaks. Remember that story in the Bible about, I forget who it was, building the house upon the sand, big, beautiful home, then boom, it came crumbling down because the sand shifted and, and whatnot. And then the person that built the house on the foundation on solid earth and the house stood and withstood the test of time. We were on solid soil, but something's been happening and that's that soil is turning into sand. Our foundation is severely damaged. It's amazing that this old house has not fallen over yet but we're headed that way. We need to start putting the work, the money, the consideration into the people at the bottom. I'm proud of you. If you've worked your way up and you've fought through everything that's been thrown against you and you're in a comfortable situation, I'm proud of you. You deserve it. You've earned it. But if you're afraid that you're not going to be justly and duly compensated above and beyond so that you have the same margin of superiority over somebody who's working their butt off, that's your problem. And instead of being against raising minimum wage just to help boost yourself up, hold somebody else back to prop yourself higher, you need to we need to make legislation that either raises the minimum wage requires employers to keep higher compensated people above or we guess what here's something really simple we can keep the the pay rates where they are we can keep the minimum wage make it so that it's illegal for housing to cost more than what someone could pay on minimum wage. What if all the rentals were the same price? What if you, what if literally all the rentals were broken down to one bedroom, one bath, the basic amount of space for one human to comfortably and safely live to be afforded on, on minimum wage. Then a couple could have a two bedroom apartment. A two-bedroom home. Maybe something a little bit bigger if they could afford that as well. But what if we literally had it all proportional to what one person could afford on minimum wage? They wouldn't be homeless. They wouldn't be living a posh life, that's for sure. But they wouldn't have to choose, do I pay the electric bill? Do I buy the insulin? Or do I buy the groceries? For being a great vision of a country that we are, where's your failing? We've been failing at least since 2000. Probably the 90s. And a lot of our situation is gone unchecked people getting into power and building a little bit of a nest egg for themselves at our expense 
It just bugs me. I really wish <laughs> we'd fix things, but I also I try to remind myself I can't control it myself. I can do this podcast. I can put the ideas out there so that other people can hear that either A, they're not alone, or B, something that they've never thought about. And I welcome your feedback. What do you think about everything that I've just been saying? I've talked for the last hour. What are your thoughts? Send me a tweet at Everett Podcast on Twitter. Send me a message on Instagram at Everett Podcast. Shoot me an email, podcast at everettmcconaughey.com. Send me a text message, 208-391-2808. Or call the same number and leave a voicemail. If you want, I can throw your voice on a future episode, or I can summarize what the voicemail was about. Tell me how involved you want to be. Tell me how much of a participant you want to be in this narrative, in our dialogue of 2021. How involved do you want to be in the affairs of our world? I think that so many of us just get lulled into this sense of complacency where you don't want to mess up what you got. And by causing management to look at somebody else to make sure that they're getting what they deserve, there's this fear of, oh, well, if if management analyzes the budget to make sure that they're getting compensated correctly, they might see that I'm not actually worth that much. Or they might not actually have my best interests at heart. Guess what fixes that? A union. Guess what fixes that? Laws and regulation that help the workers. I, I find it funny. Like I was talking to somebody else about um, a company that they work for and, and issues that happen in the workplace. You know, you bring up a complaint about somebody and and whatnot. And it's one thing for companies to be like, we have a zero tolerance policy against sexual harassment. We stand firmly with our our LGBTQIA individuals. We stand against and we have a zero tolerance policy against sexism, racism, and all the other isms that are out there. Looks very good on paper. Looks great when you're, you know, pitching yourself to go public to some shareholders. Looks great when you're trying to recruit somebody. And looks great when you... When, you know, something hits the fan and you can be like, well, we have a zero tolerance policy, though this violates whatever. But here, all too often, is what actually happens. Company. We have a zero tolerance policy. Employee. This happened to me. Company. Well, the person 
you pointed out to us, didn't admit to doing it. So, and the cameras don't have any audio, so we can't prove what they said or didn't say. They're not admitting to it, like we said. So it's really your word against theirs. What's the natural response to that? First, it's, oh, crap. They're not going to do anything. But they have a zero-tolerance policy. Then... In the day and age of we all have a cell phone. Guess what? Most phones can uh, record something. They're, they have microphones. But that little Easter egg nestled down into the type of the handbook might say something along the lines of that it's against policy to record coworkers. So say this person has repeat, you know, and, and they're told by, you know, human resources, oh, well, you should document these situations and, and, you know, record, you know, what's going on to the best of your abilities, because they want timelines, they want like, you know, stuff. But how are they going to verify that timeline if it's he said, he said, or he said, she said, she said, God, it sounds like I'm saying that. She she sells seashells by the seashore. Um, so then, you know, say the employee is re- legitimately getting bullied and harassed, records the situation just because it happens so frequently. Or they had the foresight to think, you know what? Today could be a bad day at work. I should walk in with the recorder going just in case I catch something. Then the employer can be like, oh, by the way, we have a zero tolerance policy, but she also violated that ru- that little rule that we have about you can't record other coworkers because it goes against their privacy. But we have a zero tolerance policy against that ism, so the victim for sure is going to probably get canned or reprimanded and God only knows what's going to happen to the perpetrator. They seem to get transferred or never get fired. And that, children, is our world. In a nutshell. Rather depressing. You grow up thinking that the good always wins. Good prevails against evil. At one time, it probably did. In fantasy books, it does. But in reality, you have to demand what you deserve and what you need. Because nobody has your best interest. Nobody cares if you live or die. No one cares if you're happy or sad. No one gives a damn, my dear. And you need to stand up for yourself, for those around you, for what is right, for what you believe in, and encourage progress, encourage growth, nurture the roots, help the plant grow and thrive and blossom, give it a new pot. Just because the old tattered thing is working at some point to some degree where it currently lays shattered isn't good enough. 
we have to work as a country, as a global society. We have to replant it, repot things. If it's root-bound, put in a bigger pot of soil. Improve the drainage. Move it to some sunlight. Move it to some shade. Find out what it needs to be the best that it can. Not just hanging on to dear life. Anyway, I'm approaching the end of my 70 minutes of talking. I hope you have enjoyed that, and I'm, I'll be quite amazed if you, frankly, made it through the whole thing. That's a lot of time to talk for me. Um, even I'm getting kind of tired of talking. It's like, whoa, that was a long episode. A lot more coming up. Definitely, like I said, want to talk about churches, want to talk about um, taxation, um, a lot of, I could always go on about the, uh, issues with our government and the elected officials out there, but they're always going to be present. It's, it's always going to be a thing. I mean, it's never going to really change, but, um, there we go. That was a bit of a delay. It sat there for a second. <laughs> Anywho, I appreciate you listening. I appreciate the feedback that I've gotten. Ashley, Jeremy, Scott, my three people. If you listen on a regular basis and you have something to say, even if it's just like, hey, great job. I like your podcast. I like, do you get something good out of this? Let me know. Text message, call, email. I'm giving it all out. Click on the the website link on the whatever podcast hosting platform you're at. There's so many. Like if you get to the podcast.everettmcconaughey page, there's I've embedded so many ways for you to support it financially. You know, go to the website, subscribe, leave a review. Like it's all there. I've spent a lot of time building this thing. So I hope you are healthy. I hope you're going to get the vaccine. I know that I am desperately waiting for my turn. My fiance happened to score a shot a few weeks ago. I'm so happy. My stepfather got a shot. Happy on that as well. But I'm ready for my shot. But I'll patiently wait and stay safe and smart. I hope you will as well. So I hope you have a great rest of your day, rest of your week. And until next time, God bless. Thank you for listening. Join the conversation. Send a text message or leave a voicemail at 208-391-2808. Be sure to like, follow, and subscribe. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, and several podcasting platforms. All the information at everettmcconaughey.com.